Welcome to the Hired by Passion podcast. I'm your host, Marcel Richard, and I will be interviewing artists and entrepreneurs on how they were able to escape the 9 to 5 and turn their passion into an income. Hello, and thanks for listening to the Hired by Passion podcast, episode number 21 with my guest, Tim Malanson. Tim has a passion for music and a gift for understanding technology. Soon after he started his first real job as a software developer, a tech sector downturn started forcing thousands of highly educated people out of work. He turned to entrepreneurship as a backup plan. After almost a decade of building business ventures on the side, and then a little nudge from his company called The Layoff, he finally took the plunge and has never looked back. Today, Tim pursued his passions of being a real-life rock star, playing music several nights a week in his hometown. He also combines his technical expertise and strong communication skill to help entrepreneurs build rock star websites. He also hosts the Work at Home Rockstar podcast, where he interviews successful home business owners and gets their best advice for navigating the work-from-home experience. In this episode, we talk about Tim Melanson's background in computer science and how he started right when the tech bubble burst. We talked about how he joined multi-level marketing to learn sales skills, the power of asking the correct questions in sales, and how music started as a hobby, but he realized that there is true value in it and it's okay to ask to be paid. And lastly, we've finished by talking about the huge opportunities the internet is offering musicians and other creatives to promote themselves. So without any further ado, here is Tim Melanson. So I'm here with Tim Melanson, and we're just connected recently. And it's interesting because we are living in the same kind of area, but we weren't aware of each other. And I thought, thought you were really interesting. I'm glad you're on the show. So a pleasure to have you, Tim. Thank you so much for inviting me. Tim, I'm going to ask you the first question that I ask everyone on the show is that when you meet someone for the first time and they ask you the famous question, what do you do? What's your answer to that question? <laughs> what do I do? I help people who want to work from home to work from home. Okay. So do you have a puzzled look when someone, when you answer that or what's their follow-up question usually like? Always. Actually, you know what, you know what I actually really do say when people say, what do I do is I say, I, I don't even answer it really. I usually just turn it back on them because, <laughs> okay. because I prefer to find out what they do first uh, before I tell them what I do, because I can kind of gauge it towards what they want. Right. right. So for example, if they were a musician, I might say, Oh, well, you know, I play music as well because the, the whole thing is to relate to other people, right? Rather than just blasting out some sort of elevator pitch, which rarely ever works. Yeah. But basically what I do is I help, I help people who are wanting to be an entrepreneur or who have just become an entrepreneur to be able to promote themselves online. All right. You do have uh, several streams of incomes, it seems, that going through your, you know, the list of things you did. And what I find interesting is that you have a computer science degree. So you worked as, uh, you know, in computer science at Nortel. And uh, can you tell us a bit of that story of how you got started in computer science and how it brought you to where you are today? Okay, let's see if I can give you the Coles notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my background is in computer science. I the reason why I went into computer science in the first place actually is because in high school, they told me that's where the money was. All right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I went to university in New Brunswick, University of New Brunswick, and I got myself a degree in computer science, moved to Ottawa. That's uh, where the, I guess, all the, the big computer jobs were at the time. My timing was absolutely horrible because as soon as I got there, uh, about four months in, that's when the whole bubble burst in high tech. And the company I was working for was a big, big telecommunications company that started laying people off thousands at a time every single month. So I went through eight years of layoffs. Okay. <laughs> but actually, you know, that's really where 
you know, where it all started because, you know, as a young guy who had his whole future ahead of him, I thought, you know what, I need to find a backup plan. And because I was already employed and, you know, the money was coming in, I thought, you know what, I'm going to start something on the side so that at least I have something to fall back on. And so I started a couple different home businesses. And I also, you know, at the same time started to play music on the side as well, just playing bar gigs as well. So, you know, all that kind of came out of, you know, just sitting in a cubicle going, I need a backup plan. <laughs> and then eventually when I did end up getting laid off from that job, I was able to fall back on my business and my marketing skills and also my music as well. Okay. So when you were, you know, growing up, like when you were trying to choose a major, you thought that computer science was a safe bet, right? You were thinking that, you know, everybody was telling you that where the money was and probably encouraging you to study that if it's something that you had an interest for. But did you think at that point that you were going to do that for the your the rest of your life? Or did you always have a kind of inkling for entrepreneurship? Well, I guess a little bit of both. Like, because my upbringing, like my, my dad, he actually worked for the same company for 35 years minus one day. He, he actually got laid off the day before his 35th anniversary working for that company, okay. which was a huge, huge eye opener for my entire family. But yeah, I, I know in high school, you know, they used to tell us back then when I was in high school that you would change your career every seven years. So I knew there was a chance that I was going to be changing, but I didn't really realize how crazy it was going to be by the time I ended up getting employed. You know, I sort of grew up with that whole mindset of be loyal to a company and all that stuff. But it was right when I got to, uh, to that career that they just started laying off. And I realized, oh my goodness, everything I learned is wrong. I need yeah. to... I need to backtrack here a little bit. So that backup plan that you're talking about playing music, you you also got into a multi-level marketing, which is interesting because I was listening to an interview you did about multi-level marketing and how you got into it more for the teaching than actually making money. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Well, it's really interesting because, you know, here I was, I, you know, I have a degree in computer science and I'm working for this big company. I want to play music. I mean, music was something that I really, really love. However, you know, I was always told that no, 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 the chances of you becoming successful in that is really low. So don't even bother with it. So I really just kind of pushed it aside, pushed it aside, pushed it aside and just thought, oh, I'll do it for a hobby. And then when everything started to happen, uh, really the funny thing was that the music side of it was the thing that was starting to look a little bit more secure. At least it was a skill that I had that I could always use. But one of the things that I knew right off the bat was that I knew that I was not a very good salesperson and a very good people person at the time. So I remember, you know, it was about four years into working for this large company and I was introduced by one of my best friends who took me out to this meeting for a network marketing company. I had been exposed to it before, but I didn't know a bunch about it. All I knew was that I had this kind of weird negative feeling towards it and didn't know why. And I'm more or less a person that is open-minded for the most part. And I like to figure out why I feel negatively about it. Okay. So I started doing a little bit of research. I found out that there were some people that were making really good money in network marketing, but more, the majority of people were actually failing in network marketing. And my first question was, okay, so I'm not going to worry about the people that fail because there's people that fail in everything. <laughs> I'm going to worry about the people that are actually making money and I'm going to figure out what they're doing. Because if these guys can go out there and, you know, peddle these things, these products that are really worthless and make a ton of money doing it, 
then I need to figure out what they're doing because I'm pretty sure that these skills are going to be transferable to something else. And so, like you said, what when I first started in network marketing, I had no intention of making money doing it. I didn't go crazy and start posting everywhere and telling everybody that, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Literally, I took a step back and I, I sat in the room. I pulled out my book and my pen and I started writing. <laughs> I just started learning as much as I could. I I want to spend as much time around the successful people as I possibly could. And what I saw from network marketing was that I could easily have gotten that same information from hiring a coach, a business coach or a sales coach. I could have gone out there and spent thousands of dollars hiring somebody that was going to teach me how to run a business. Or I could buy this product and get free training from some people and hang around with successful people that way. For me, I thought this was a great deal. You know, I spend a few hundred bucks a month you know, whatever it is for the package uh, or the auto ship is what they call it of, you know, your minerals or whatever it is. Yeah. And I can get this free training from somebody that is going to teach me, you know, how to contact people, how to prospect, how to sell, how to move people's minds, how to change people's minds, how to, you know, move them forward. And then, and then the best part of it is that network marketing is not necessarily about selling a product. Really, that's the small part of it. Really, the big success in network marketing is helping people to believe in themselves that they can actually be successful and training them and leading them to run their own organizations. And for me, I thought to myself, if I could learn how to do that, well, then that's really where the business owner part comes into it. I mean, you can go out there and sell all you want, but you're not going to really become uh, free until you start to build a business and you start to inspire other people to work for you. And I thought that this was a great skill that I could learn in network marketing. And that's why I I went down that route. And I find that so interesting because that's the the first time I personally saw network marketing as something that might actually be valuable because I, I, like you, have this huge negative uh, impression of network marketing because I find that everybody who gets into it becomes that guy or that girl that everybody avoids now. But I find it interesting how, you know, you went in for the lessons that are there. And I think, like you mentioned, there are so many lessons that can be learned from network marketing. So I'm kind of curious, how did someone who you, you said that you were not necessarily a people person, what kind of lessons did you learn that to transform yourself to be able to find success? Well, I think really the irony of it all is that if you get started in a company that sells snake oil, <laughs> you've really got to learn some lessons on how to deal with people okay. really quickly. And it's really kind of funny that the irony of the whole situation is that I took a, a company or a product or whatever it is that really didn't matter. And all I had to really work on was building the relationships because people don't buy anything unless they know, like, and trust you. Yeah. And so the number one thing that I learned to do was, number one, as soon as you contact everybody in your current network, you're probably not going to recruit any of them. They're all going to say no, <laughs> or, or very few of them are going to say yes, because they're all going to wait for you to have results, right? Yeah. So the first thing you have to do is realize that none of them are going to say yes. So now all of a sudden you have to go to your cold market. You've got to learn how to meet people. And so that was kind of a huge thing is they call it prospecting, which is basically going out there and creating new relationships and being focused on them because you can't go out there and try to sell something right off the bat. It's not going to work. So I learned, you know, how to ask questions is the number one skill that you can learn in business is how to ask the right questions to be able to find out the information that you need in order to be able to help them the best. Because really, you know, a lot of times you will go out there and you'll, you'll have this great product that you want to help someone with, but people resist help right off the bat. And I think they resist help mostly because by you saying that you can help someone, 
you are either consciously or subconsciously telling them that you're better than them, that you know more than them. And so they're going to immediately push back on that and go, no, 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 you can't help me. I can't. Uh, and, and that's going to be your first step is to kind of go, okay, instead of going out there and trying to help somebody who doesn't want to be helped in the first place, I'm going to go out there and just get to know a person just to find out what their struggles are, what their problems are, what they're, what's going well in their life. And then what you can do is the more you get to know them, the more you ask questions about them, the more they start to feel comfortable with you. Uh, I find it really interesting that, uh, you know, there was um, a study I read a long time ago that they, they took people coming out of a conference and they asked them all to take on the plane ride home, take this list of questions and ask it to the person next to you. And then what they did is they, when they got off the phone, they're sorry, off the plane, they went and talked to the person that was sitting next to them. And the interesting thing about it is that, is that they asked them, what did they think about the person sitting next to them? And they always said, oh, the guy was so nice. He was a great person. I really like him. Yeah. And then they started asking them, okay, well, what was his name? Oh, you know what? I don't think I got his name. Well, what does he do for work? Hmm. I don't think we talked about that. So in the end, they had a good impression of this person, but they didn't know anything about them because the person who was doing the, the experiment was asking all these same questions to that person. So that person was opening up about everything in their life and they felt comfortable with the person. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. Did you ever see that experiment where they tried? It was like these X amount of questions that will make anyone fall in love with you. I, I didn't see it. I'd like to. I'd like to. It's interesting. It's like this series of questions that get progressively uh, more uh, intimate. I guess, and uh, that at the end of the series of questions that people kind of want to be in a relationship with that person because they shared things that, so it speeds up the relationship in a kind of way. And I thought it was an interesting experience and it seems it showed that these questions will make people fall in love with you. So it's interesting. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, to answer your question, that's the number one thing that anybody who's listening can take away from this is to learn how to ask questions. And I think the reality of that is to just care about the other person. I mean, why would you want to just help everybody? No, you want a win-win. You want a situation where you can help people that can also help you as well. Like, uh, otherwise, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's good for anybody. Number one, you're going to seem pushy, but number two, you're going to waste your time. Yeah. So if you look at the, the progress that you made from, so now you're, I'm not sure if you're still in multi-level marketing, but you have different streams of income. So how did you, what happened that you decided that you want to change gears and move into something else? Well, uh, what happened is that, uh, actually two things happened at the exact same time. Uh, number one, I built a very, very large organization in network marketing. And what happened is that once I got to the, you know, huge incomes and, and large, large teams, it was a bit of a burnout situation as well because it, you know, it was a lot of work. I mean, I guess it's not surprising that it would be a lot of work to, to me, but to a lot of people, they sort of think of network marketing as some sort of magic lottery where, hey, if you get it in the beginning, you're going to make a ton of cash. No, if you work your butt off, you're going to make a ton of cash. <laughs> so really, you know, it's a ton of work and it's a ton of really exhausting work because getting into something and trying to make people believe in themselves that they can be successful as well is a very uphill battle. I mean, you are basically inspiring people, changing their minds and their viewpoints of themselves and making them believe in themselves. So that, that can really be tiring after a while. And so I really kind of slowed down on that quite a bit. And then the second thing that happened at the exact same time is that because my income was very, very portable and very, very, you know, all built online, I was living in Ottawa at the time, but I'm from Moncton. I grew up here and my son was uh, just five years old at the time. This was four years ago. 
I wanted to be a little bit closer to family. So I packed up and left and moved back to Moncton in, in New Brunswick. And so, uh, you know, between, you know, being kind of burnt out from all the work and being attached to that phone all the time and answering every single call and help, 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 and moving into a new city, you know, it really kind of stunted my momentum in that company. And so I really took a step back, not necessarily that I stopped doing it. I mean, I you know, still get a little bit of income from that company today. However, it's not, it's not my main focus in terms of my promoting. What I did do is once I moved to Moncton, I just sort of said, okay, I want to get my music career up and running. So I focused on working on getting myself back into music because if I'm not playing any type of music, I just don't feel complete. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the reason why I'm self-employed in the first place is because when I left that job at Nortel, I wanted to find another job where I could do gigs at night and not have to wake up in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, there was a few companies that uh, there were very few companies that I could actually apply for that would give me that. So I ended up just being self-employed and starting my own high tech company and going out and doing that. So I, I started doing those things and then network marketing came around and it worked out well for me. But when I started doing the, the music, you know, I think we were talking about this earlier, a lot of what I did in music and what I do in music really comes from the skills that I learned in network marketing about helping people believe in themselves and focusing on the business case of, of music rather than just saying, well, you know, I can play music and I'm pretty good at it. So people should just pay me. That's not true. Yeah. You're going into a bar where they're going to be, they need to pay you from the money that they earn. It's not just because they're paying you for your time. They don't need you there unless you're actually bringing people into the bar. Exactly. And then uh, the second part is my web development. So basically everything that I do in web development is I build content marketing sites. So I help people to promote themselves online and to build their businesses online just like I did with network marketing. And I also basically do the coaching for, for that as well so that people know how to sell themselves online. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So if we look into music, when did you start playing music? I started playing music when I was 21. Okay. I, so I guess, uh, what, uh, 18 years ago? Okay. And at that point, did you think that you might want to make a living doing that? Or was it a, up till what point was it a hobby? Still today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're, now you're actually making income from it, right? I think it never really occurred to me that I would be able to actually make a, you know, a living out of it. Because I think really, for me, I don't really want to be tied to that kind of income. I, I think that really, when it comes to music, it's one of those things where I love to do it. And I don't want to have to rely on making a full-time income playing music. Okay. However, I also understand that there's value in being a performer and going out there and doing these types of things. So I also don't think it's right to go out there and get paid nothing for it. I just think about it from a business case and go, okay, if I can go out there and provide some value with my music, meaning I can entertain a group or I can bring people out that want to actually come out and you know, uh, spend money at this establishment, then I should be paid for that accordingly based on how much revenue I'm bringing to the bar. So I don't think I ever really got to a point where I wanted to make it a full-time thing. However, if you come at it from the perspective of how much money am I bringing into this establishment and then what percentage of that can I make through music? I think there is a fair bit of money to be made in music. Okay. That's a, an interesting point to make, but, and it's hard often when you're trying to Let's say you're trying to get into that industry. You're trying to get into the entertainment industry and saying that you have a product that can offer, um, you know, offer the bar and you a win-win situation. But it's kind of hard to bring in regulars or to bring in people to a bar because everybody seems so busy. So how were you able to find that crowd that will follow you along to get to the bar gigs that you're doing? 
Well, what I did is I like to inspire other people and I like to help other people to grow. And so one of the things that I've been doing for a very long time is open mics and open jams. And you know, that's how I got started in the first place of playing live. I, you know, I loved doing it. It was a lot of fun. And I ended up going out to open mics. And that's how I got discovered, <laughs> you know, quote unquote. I was going out to this open mic uh, almost every week. And there was someone that was actually at that open mic that was booking people into shows. And so that's how I got my first start was this guy approached me and said, Hey, you know, how many songs have you got that you can perform? And that's how I got in. So when I started, you know, and the tables were turned and I was starting to get gigs and all that stuff, I want to set up an open mic and I want to inspire people to come out and play. And I think one of the cool things about doing an open mic, I mean, I do recognize, and I've been analyzing this quite a bit, I do recognize that there is a very, very special type of person that is a good open mic or open jam host. Okay. You know, it's not everybody. It, you know, in fact, actually, if you're a really, really good musician, you're probably going to make a really bad open mic host. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because you've got to inspire people to want to go out there and play. Okay. And if you're really awesome, then you just intimidate people. <laughs> okay. So what I do is, you know, I mean, I take my, you know, okay, fine, I do do gigs and all that stuff, and I do learn songs and, you know, go perform them right and all that stuff. But for my open mics, I try to fail. <laughs> I try stuff that I don't know. I play whatever I'm playing. And what that does is that that just inspires people. People are like, oh, I can do better than him. <laughs> and they'll go up there and play. So it takes a person that really can get out of their own ego and go, okay, you know what? I'm not the best person in the world. And I'm going to show that. I'm going to show that I make mistakes. And then that's going to inspire people to want to come up there and play those, those songs. But what I think for the bar, for example, what, what's the benefit to them is that it's always different. It's different every week because you've got different people up there. I'm playing different songs. It just keeps on rotating through people. So now, you know, it's been two and a half years here in Moncton that I've been doing Wednesday and Thursday for these jams. And there's no sign of stopping because it's always different for the bar. The bar kind of sees it as a big win because, you know, if you're an artist that's playing the same song, the same set list every week, that's going to get dry for the audience after a while. So you're going to have to keep on reinventing yourself, Yeah. which leads me to the next point. If you're not a good open mic host or, or, or you can't do that type of thing, then you've got to make sure that if you want to make a living doing music, you've got to figure out a way to continue to reinvent yourself. I don't know how that is. You know, could it be different, uh, different collaborations? It could be different set lists. It could be different themes. I mean, you've really got to put your marketing hat on and go, they're not paying you to play music. They're paying you to sell drinks. Yeah. So think about it that way. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And that's the disconnect often in, you know, sometimes people just want to play music, but at the end, if the bar is not making money while you're playing music, well, then there's no justification to pay you, right? Correct. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of entitlement through a lot of musicians, especially that have been playing for a long time because the world has changed, you know, back in the eighties, I think that, you know, without social media, without, you know, any of that stuff, people had to go out. So it's not that the musicians were bringing people out. People were already out. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, bars and, and establishments were hiring music to just entertain the people that were already there. Yeah. And they had the budget to be able to pay for it as well. Today, people aren't going out as much unless there's a specific reason. And that's why I say that you've got to reinvent yourself and create themes and do all those types of things that actually draw people out. You've got to basically make a marketing project of yourself and of your thing that you're doing uh, in order to bring people out to that establishment. But I, I think that ends up being the hardest part is to get people out because there's so many options now and it's just so easy to sit home and sit at home and watch Netflix, right? 
Yeah, I suppose. But I don't necessarily think that that's 100% of the problem. I, I, you know, I think that there, there was a bit of a, I think there was a bit of an evolution of how music has gone because there was a, a period in time where there was DJs, lots of DJs and lots of karaoke type stuff that was happening where I think the establishments were seeing their numbers kind of go down a little bit and they were thinking, oh, well, I can hire one person to do karaoke or I can hire one person to do a DJ thing. And why do I have to pay a whole band, you know, a few hundred bucks? Yeah. And so I think that happened. And what, what happened there is that because it never changed, because it was boring, because there was no personal feeling to it, I think a lot of people just stopped going out during that time. And now we're in a situation where we're kind of like a catch-22 where people aren't going out because they don't really see a need to go out. There's nothing new. And so the bars are also unwilling to pay <laughs> for something new, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I think right now is the time when really the creative, the real creativity in terms of marketing is what's going to matter. And I think it's possible, though, because people need human interaction. I mean, yeah, they can stay home with Netflix, but I think they would rather be out, you know, enjoying the company of other people if we can create the environment that they want to go out and be in. And that you're right. That is the hard part. Yeah. Because I find that, you know, you look at the crowds now, it seems that the prices of everything is increasing. Like the amount of uh, spare dollars, let's say, that everybody has or disposable income, I think, is going down. And to go out to a bar and pay, you know, two, three, four times the price that you're paying for your drinks than you would pay at home, I think is a big reason that people just decide to stay at home and do things with friends with not going into the bars and seeing the shows. But I'm not sure if you have that opinion or do you think that that plays a part in what's happening now today in the whole entertainment industry? Uh, I think it does play a part. And that's why I think that a lot of musicians are going to start to recognize that maybe the venue is not the bar. Maybe okay. the venue is online. Yeah, uh, we've, got a br we've got a brand new opportunity that never existed before. You know, 20 years ago, you could not play, you know, a show in your house and have that broadcast all over the world. Yeah. So I think it's a combination. I think that getting out there and performing, you know, with other people and, and getting out to bars and all that stuff is a great way to interact with other local people and to start to sort of set up these collaborations and all that stuff. And that's why I like the jams that I'm doing is because it gives people an opportunity to meet other musicians, to meet other like-minded people. But I think that really the big power there is to take that and start to spin off and create online programs. Because right now, you know, with things like, you know, even Facebook Live or Periscope or even YouTube, you can do a ton of stuff online now to grow your brand. And, you know, I don't know if you'd be making a ton of money from syndication or from, from uh, sorry, from, uh, Uh, from sponsorships and stuff like that. However, you could sell your music. If you were writing original music, you could sell that music online. And now your reach is everywhere. Yeah. So I think that really, you know, the, the whole thing of, oh, starving musician, you're not going to make it. Uh, I don't think there's much of an excuse anymore. <laughs> I think nowadays you don't need a record label to get a, to get a deal. You can actually start to build your, your followings online. And like what you just said, not even three minutes ago, People would rather stay at home right now and watch Netflix. Well, why wouldn't they stay at home and watch your YouTube channel or watch your live broadcast of your show? Yeah. You know, this is a huge opportunity. I think that a lot of musicians are not seeing because they're too, uh, can, uh, they're too attached to the old way. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're either going to evolve and you're going to take advantage of these new opportunities that are presenting themselves or you're going to be left behind. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And it's uh, it's interesting to see how things are changing because the, the music industry definitely is changing with, you know, people aren't buying CDs anymore. It's not, you know, it's 
it's not really a way to make a living is to sell a CD because just generally it's not working out. But, you know, you can sell shows. People are still going out to shows, maybe less than before, but there's still an industry there, right? If a big mm-hmm. band comes to town, we, we sometimes sell out the, where they're playing, right? So, yeah. And, you know, when you think about the online world, and even if they're buying things on iTunes or whatever it is, I know that there's a lot of musicians that are sort of scared and afraid of piracy and of people taking music for free and all that stuff. I don't think that's something that you need to be worried about because I think the reality is of it is that people want to support things and people that they like. Yeah. And so why be all scared of who's stealing your music and who's listening to it for free and all that stuff when you can just recognize that if they enjoy your music and they really want to support you and they want you to continue, they will pay for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of a lot of people nowadays like to try before they buy. And so rather than locking up your site and your music like Fort Knox and, and having nobody listen to it, why not just get out there and do what you love and then have people support you because they want to support you rather than because you're forcing them to. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, we all, I think everybody experienced that kind of buyer's remorse of buying a CD from a one hit wonder and realizing that the rest is not as good as the one hit that they had. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. th- that probably happens less and less. Right. Yeah. And nowadays, nowadays you can just buy that one track that you like. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and like I said, I mean, people want to support people that they like. And so it doesn't matter who you are, especially the little guy. I think there's a lot of people that would like to support that. And especially considering now they don't have to buy a whole CD that's going to cost them 20 bucks. Now they can spend, you know, whatever, 99 cents or a buck 99 on one track that they really love from the artists that they really like that they want to support. I think it's just easier to do it that way. Yeah, I think so, too. Cool. This uh, interview went uh, kind of a different direction that I was initially planning, but it was fun to talk (laughs) about all these, uh, these different things. But uh, before we leave, I'd just like to you know, give you a chance to say, like, talk about maybe the, you know, what you're doing, your projects that you're working on right now and what, how you could get people to contact you. Well, the thing that I'm really excited about right now is I've got a podcast called The Work at Home Rockstar. And what I do is similar to what you're doing. I'm, I'm trying to inspire people to just branch out on their own and create that side income or that full time income from home. Because I, I think that, you know, as we've discussed in this entire interview, the world is changing. And that stable, secure job is probably not a safe bet anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what I want to do is I want to inspire people of all walks of life to just take a look at what kind of skill that you can offer the world and try to promote that online. So whether that be music, like we've talked about today, I mean, there's lots of great ideas on how you could promote yourself online. Well, my business is that I create content marketing websites. Basically, what I do is I help people to set up like a podcast site or a blog site that promotes their regular content and gets it out into the social media world. And then that just kind of redirects people back to their website where now they can actually have a home base where they can actually put products or services that they offer to help other people with whatever it is that skill that they, that they, that they have that they can change the world with. So that's really the thing that I'm most excited about right now is just to inspire people to do what I'm doing, do what you're doing, (laughs) right? To get out there and, and just help the world with whatever it is that you can help them with. Because the reality of it is that the reason why all these jobs are disappearing is because technology is advancing and companies need less people to do the things that they need to do. So they're getting things done with technology. The cool thing about that is that that same technology is available to you and I. So you don't have to be a big multi-million dollar company to set up a website and set up a blog or set up a podcast that provides value out in the world and directs people back to you, creates that relationship with your client and allows you to build your business. You can do that 
very, very inexpensively nowadays, as long as you have the right strategy. And that's what I help with. Cool. Awesome. So, and how can they get in touch with you? Uh, you can visit workathomerockstar.com. I've got my podcast there. You can actually connect with me through that, through that site as well. You can also find me on Facebook. I'm really easy to find on Facebook. It's just Tim Melanson. Yeah. Uh, Tim Melanson Music is my, is my, uh, my music page. But definitely you could follow me that way. I'm um, really easy to, to, uh, to connect with. And if you've got questions, definitely contact me through there. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you, Tim. And I wish you luck in all your projects. Thank you, Marcel. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the whole interview with my guest, Tim Melanson. I felt the interview went in a different direction than I thought it would. I thought it was really interesting to see how Tim joined multi-level marketing just to learn the sales skills and get the coaching and everything that came into selling yourself and selling your product. I thought that's just a really great idea. I've always been hesitant or I, I've kind of frowned upon multi-level marketing, as I mentioned in the interview, but I, th- I thought that was really a, an interesting point he brought up and something to think about. Look at the opportunities that are around you and maybe not take them at full face value. What can you learn from these opportunities and where can you find lessons that you can apply in the projects that you're working on today in maybe a different kind of scenario or a different kind of way that traditionally you would think you would learn these skills or learn these habits. So I'll keep it short and sweet today. If you enjoyed the show, I greatly appreciate it if you could share it with your friends, share it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you connect with the people that follow you. I'd also invite you to connect with me on Facebook and find me on the Hired by Passion group or page. You can find it by going to the website at HiredByPassion.com or just searching for Hired by Passion on Facebook itself. So thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening to the Hired by Passion podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review on iTunes. 